spend enough time with me and you will inevitably at some point hear me talk about functional theology, the way that some situation or person reveals what they really believe about God and the world through the way that they talk, act, or make decisions. I think that regardless of what you or I claim to believe, our behavior reveals what we actually believe. It's our functional theology. So for example, in our culture, there's I'm a good person theology, which operates with the idea that if I am good and nice, everything should go okay for me. There's also my suffering deserves a reward theology, which believes that the hardships we endure ought to be made up for with prizes for our perseverance. At times, I think we all like these versions because if we are disappointed with God or our situation, then we are justified in doing whatever we please to feel better instead of having to have the authentic, hard conversation with God about what comes next. And Jeremiah, at a minimum, has to contend with some ancient Near Eastern variant of all of this himself. God called and Jeremiah said yes. God gave him messages. Jeremiah delivered them. He has been faithful to what God has asked. And he's now, shall we say, over it. He's over fearing for his life. In chapter 11, verse 19, for instance, Jeremiah says they had formulated their intentions. And those intentions are, let's destroy the tree with its sap. Let's cut him off from the land of the living so that his name isn't mentioned anymore. And this isn't the only time that Jeremiah says that people are plotting to kill him. He's overseeing the faithless succeed. Chapter 12, verse 1, Jeremiah says, Why does the way of the faithless succeed? Why are all the people who break faith secure? You're present in their mouth, but far in their inner person. He's over the message that required he lose his whole social life. This particular message is an enacted warning for the people. The warning is, These celebrations and ceremonies will end when you're in exile, unless you return. And so in order to enact this, in chapter 16, he is told the following. You are not to enter a house where there is a wake. Don't go to lament and grieve for them. You're not to enter a house where there is a party, to sit with them, to eat and drink. And hey, here is a time we never thought that we would really very much understand the plight of someone living in ancient times. But... Thanks to the current situation with the pandemic, we might actually feel a little more empathy and compassion for Jeremiah at this moment. No going in the houses for any reason. Jeremiah is over being made a fool. Chapter 20, verse 7. You've fooled me, Yahweh, and I was foolish. You've taken hold of me and won. I've become a laugh all the time. Everyone makes fun of me. Curtis will be diving into this verse in the backdrop episode, and you might enjoy listening to it and appreciate it because there's actually quite a bit happening in this accusation of Jeremiah's in particular. He feels like he's been made the fool, and it's God who made a fool of him. It seems likely that one of two things, or perhaps a bit of both, are happening for Jeremiah through his experience of being a prophet. Either God is not protecting Jeremiah in the ways that Jeremiah expected, so that it feels like God's not protecting at all, or God has given these messages, but none of them have come to pass yet. So while Jeremiah keeps prophesying and people keep attacking him, he looks like a liar and a buffoon, a false prophet of woe, because Babylon hasn't attacked yet, and they are fine. This certainly seems to be at least a likely element, given the verse that follows in chapter 20. Jeremiah says, every time I speak, I cry out. 
I proclaim violence and destruction because Yahweh's message has become for me insult and derision all the time. This is a good point to pause and ask, what about us? What do you and I do when we realize we feel disappointed in God or deeply upset with the state of our lives? Do we take those feelings to God? Or for some reason or another, do we find we keep them to ourselves? Do we vent them out, believing God wants to hear them and will act for us? Or do we turn them either inward or to the relationships around us, not really finding God to be relevant, perhaps, to the experience of the moment? Now, for Jeremiah, all of this exposes his functional theology. Jeremiah's functional theology shows that when he feels some sense of disappointment that God has not done what God should, then the next place a person should go with those feelings is right back to God and boldly. Now, here's the thing. That path of going back to God with what we're thinking and feeling about the disappointment, that path does not begin in our minds, our academics, to study afresh the right theology of suffering or disappointment. That's kind of a Western construct we have, where we overemphasize sequential learning as getting the right information in our head, which is somehow transmitted to the heart, which then somehow inspires our actions. So we think we can correct our disappointment by just reminding ourselves of true theological axioms about the nature of God or something. Instead, the model we see not only in Jeremiah, but also the Psalms, Job, Jesus, is to start where we are. We tell God how we feel, disappointed, angry, disillusioned, hurt. Every passage that I read just now, those were not Jeremiah's private musings, the little scrapings he had put in his personal journals. They were Jeremiah's vocal prayers. He was telling God that the situation, frankly, sucked. He was working out with God the very real tension that we can be completely faithful and life can be completely disappointing. John Golden Gay points out that Jeremiah models his own prayers after the Psalms. Now, depending on how many of the Psalms we have read, there's 150 after all, this might make a lot of sense or it might make not much sense at all. Because see, if we've mainly read the yay God Psalms, like Psalm 66, which I'll read in a second, then, you know, this is going to seem odd. It doesn't quite fit with Psalms like Psalm 66, which says things that are true, like shout joyfully to God, all the earth, sing the glory of God's name, make God's praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works and the earth will worship you and will sing your praises, sing praises to your name. Now that doesn't quite fit with what we're talking about. And if that was all that the Psalms contained is great praise, it wouldn't actually be very helpful. But if we've read the whole of the Psalms, after which Jeremiah models his prayers, then we would see other psalms of lament, sorrow, and anger. Like Psalm 6, which says, I am worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. Or Psalm 59, where the psalmist says to God, wake up, see what is happening and help me. O Lord God of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, wake up and punish the hostile nations. Do not be gracious to wicked traitors. Back to Golden Gay, who says, In bringing such experiences before God, the prayers the Psalms invited people into make it possible to reframe one's understanding. In other words, we start with our circumstance and our emotions. We start where we are, and we bring that to God. And that works up to our mind, our outlook our understanding. 
Golden Gay says that bringing it before God can enable us to get a fresh angle on it or to regain the angle we had before our troubles knocked us off balance. And isn't that how we feel sometimes? And so here how this goes for Jeremiah. This is chapter 12, verse 1. He says, you'll be in the right, Yahweh, when I contend with you. Yet, in connection with your decision, I'll speak with you. So I'm going to come to you, God, and I know you're God and you'll probably win, but I'm also going to tell you that I disagree and I'm upset. Or 12, 14. Heal me, God, so that I may find healing. Deliver me so I may find deliverance, because you're my praise. And in this case, you see Jeremiah rooting himself in God as the source of healing and deliverance, even though in the moment, Jeremiah feels neither healed nor delivered. But of course, Jeremiah stands with his faithfulness in contrast to the faithlessness of the Israelites who have gone chasing healing, deliverance, and life in the idols of the nations. There are no gods. So Jeremiah doesn't actually differentiate himself by having greater amounts of healing and deliverance. He differentiates himself by continuing to come to God for those things or complain that he doesn't have those things. One last example, chapter 20, verse 13, Jeremiah says, Sing for Yahweh, praise Yahweh, because he's saved the life of the needy from the hands of evildoers, which sounds like a line that could be pulled straight from a psalm. Jeremiah makes the transition to praise that actually end most psalms. John Golden Gay reminds us that sometimes the writers make that statement at the end, that statement of praise. They make that statement by faith, knowing God will make it true. Maybe Jeremiah also recognizes that it has in fact been true. He's still alive and praying after all. Coming to God authentically is an act of trust. By choosing to bring things to God, we acknowledge God, that God is the one we want to deal with. Even if what we have to say to God is that we doubt, we're mad, we're disappointed, the reality is that saying it to God at all is an act of praise. And so we'll close with this commentary from the scholar Christopher Wright. Jeremiah knew that the highest form of praise was not just to say nice things to God or about God. Rather, real praise meant to acknowledge the reality and the presence of God in all situations and circumstances, no matter how fraught with contradiction. To go to God with your pain and protest, your anger and anxiety, and to give full vent to them before God's face is also a form of praise. And so today, whatever those things may be for you and me, may we find ourselves saying them to God, practicing the act of praise that is telling God our honest expressions of disappointment or anger or confusion. And may we find ourselves praising God by trusting that God can handle our authentic confessions and doesn't need to be flattered by perfect words. Amen.